This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, Caleb Williams here, and today's interview, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Brian Bloom, the author of the book series, Confession of a CPA. Uh, Brian has been in the industry for a very long time. I read his book when I first got in. It was simple to understand. It was really, really powerful. And he just came out with a new book, and it's called The Capital Equivalent of Life Insurance. It's in his series of Confession of a CPA. And it's all about breaking down the cash flow in retirement. So you, you'll see many times in this interview that I want to say income. And one of the things that Brian is helping me is rewiring the way that we're thinking. And he talks about the best strategies as it relates to getting cash flow or getting more money in retirement. A safer way, he, we talk about tax exemption and why it's different than tax-free or taxable. Talk about different distribution rates. I mean, that's one of the big problems that we're facing is people are saving, but they're not actually getting what they want. A million dollars doesn't give you that much money if it's in the wrong place. And, and then he goes into, he actually dives into why when life insurance is set up right, it's the greatest place to have money for income not just when you die. It's very interesting. Um, I gained so much from this interview. I gained so much from his book and you won't want to miss it. We, this has been, we went really deep. I mean, he, he even said in the interview, he's like, this might be too deep and it's not because if you're someone that wants to maximize your cash, cash flow later in your life, if you want to understand how to get money off the radar screen in the IRS, if you want to, you know, understand some of these things like there's not a ton of people talking about this brian articulates articulates it extremely well i was such a pleasure to have him on the show without further ado here's brian bloom brian welcome to the show well great thanks for having me caleb so before we get into like the meat and potatoes of what your book is all about i want to i want to share this with the audience so when i first got in the industry I read Nelson's book and I read a couple other books and I like I knew that there was something powerful but then when I read your book your one of your first books The Confessions of a CPA it really changed like it changed like I read it twice and that's the book that I used to start giving to my new prospects and one of the key things in one of the book that you wrote was using your life insurance to buy a wedding ring. Mm -hmm. And you looked at what a wedding ring would cost if you just paid cash and gave up what that could have grown the rest of your life. And I have to say, one of my clients this year did that exact same thing. And I just, I just thought how cool that was. Thank you for what you're doing. You wrote another book that totally radically impacted the way that I viewed our practice. And I'm so happy that you're on the show. Oh, great. Well, thanks for having me. This is fun. Okay. So um, your book is called uh, Confessions of a CPA. That's kind of the series. And this one's the capital equivalent value. Um, and, and you go into really the difference between comparing assets. And I made the mistake earlier of saying comparing them to income. Why don't you talk about why that the idea of even comparing to income is misleading. Well, it's, it goes back to why what we've been taught to be true really isn't because we've been taught to think about income for our entire life. But that's only true for half of our life because when you get right down to it, we start to think about retirement. We start, we're taught to think about retirement income. Well, that's not right. It, it's, it's about cash flow. It's about what's coming into your life 
from some outside source. Now it's, you know, in retirement, it's not trading your time for someone else's dollar. That's income. But now it's your money that you've got invested somewhere that's bringing cash flow into your life. And cash flow is important because it may or may not go on the income tax return. So, so one of the most powerful things that you're writing in this book is you're talking about really the distribution. And so why don't you, let's, let's look at a macro idea because I've read your book and I, I now understand the big misleading um, factor that most people, like they don't even know what to be true when it comes to their income. Talk about why America doing to the traditional financial model is being misled if they not knowing what you've written about? Well, uh, we're taught to, to chase a rate of return. That's how we're being misled. And, you, you know, Caleb, you can't spend a rate of return. You can only spend a dollar. So why don't we concentrate on dollars as opposed to some percentage rate? So where, where we really go wrong is we think the percentage, the rate of return has to be a rate of return over our entire lifetime. Well, that's not true. There's, a, there's an intermediary step, intermediate step, where you have to calculate a value before you can start distributing it. That's the capital equivalent value. When, when you start down Mount Everest, so to speak, when we're coming down the financial mountain, you have to have a certain sum of money to distribute from. So consequently, that's important. Not the rate of return over your entire lifetime, but your rate of return up to a certain point of time in your life in which now you're beginning to take cash flow to supplement, or not to supplement, to finance the rest of your life in retirement. So that's the whole idea of capital equivalent value. That's where we're being misled is that we're, we're chasing a rate of return as opposed to dollars. You can only spend dollars. And, and, and I think so, so often we don't think with the end in mind. Most people are working their whole life and saving, but they don't really, or, or investing really, but they don't understand why they're investing in the first place. It's all about chasing a, you know, a big number. You know, there was a big ad campaign a number of years ago with people walking around Central Park with this placard above their, their, their head. And it was, you know, basically, what's your number? What's your number? Well, that's kind of meaningless um, until you figure out what is that number going to provide you. The, the number is irrelevant. Let's talk about distribution rates because I, I find that n not a lot of people really understand that like, because we, we think, okay, we hear that the stock market averages X, uh, any, like we would think, okay, we could take that out and our money would stay the same. In, in your book, you really break down that. That's a myth. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, Caleb, come on. I could guarantee you a 25% average annual rate of return over the next four years. And all I have to do is put your money in a, in a mattress. Because I could earn 100%, lose 50%, earn 100, lose 50. That's my four years. It averages 25%, but you still have the same money that you invested. So what good was that? See, that's the fallacy of chasing a rate of return. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. So um, the distribution side of things or the distribution rate is really important. No one talks about that. Again, they're always talking about internal rate of return. Well, what about the distribution rate? That's not what your money earns. That's the, the rate in which you're depleting your asset. And of course, hope, our hope is that, you know, we don't deplete our asset before our life is depleted. That means you've run out of money. That doesn't work. And one of the big things that you're so passionate about is taxes and the importance of 
tax exempt income. Why don't you unpack that a little bit more? Sure. Well, taxes is is the great enemy of of all of us. And yeah, we've you know I love the roads I, I drive on, and you know uh, social money is important to build our infrastructure and do the things that we need. But you know the Internal Revenue Code is written in such a way that it only requires that that you pay a tax on your income when you trade your time for someone else's dollars. That's mandatory. There is no requirement that, that, that your money pay a tax. So when you stretch that out, if you really embrace that, that means when you retire, you should not have to file an income tax return. And that's my pursuit. That's my, that, that's, that's my passion. How do you get off the radar screen of the IRS for income tax purposes in retirement? Because again, it's, it's how we're falsely taught we're falsely taught to pay taxes for the rest of our life. I mean, think about it. We've got 85 and 90-year-old people still filing an income tax return. I got a problem with that in two ways. Number one, haven't they paid enough already? And secondly, they're signing a a, a legal document. Some of them have absolutely no mental capacity to be signing, yet government requires that they sign it and send in their money. There's just something morally wrong with that. And if you look at the code, it doesn't require it. Right, right. And so, and one of the things that when we were talking, you were even talking about the social security effect of when you're, when you're getting income, you're having, you're getting tax and you're getting less of your social security and Medicaid. Do you want to talk about how your social security and Medicaid is affected when you're taking out income like most people? I find that most people don't realize their social security may be taxed in retirement. And the reason why they don't, it's kind of new news to them is that it's wrong. It's, that's double taxation. You know, when you put your money into the social security system, it comes after you've calculated your income taxes. So how on earth could it be taxable on the way out? That's called double taxation. And like I I tell a lot of of, of my clients, I said, listen, 200 years ago, we started a revolution because we were being taxed once without any say-so in it. And today we idly sit by and we allow a double taxation and every one of our senators and congresspeople know about this double taxation. And I would call that double taxation with representation. And that's just more, it's just morally wrong. One of the things, well, before I, before I go into the next compound interest, one of your favorite topics, um, taxes going up in the future. I mean, I write, write about this in my book. It's like, look at where our country's at. How in the world are we, why are we postponing or deferring our tax and not taking responsibility today? You talk about this in the book. What's your personal opinion? No one knows, but like with you've you've been in the industry a long time. You've helped a lot of people. What what do you tell them as it relates to taxes? Well, it's really subtle, Kayla, because everyone's focused on the tax rate, and they think that you know, but but the rate is meaningless. It's all about the thresholds, and this is where where Washington can subtly change your life. I mean, you go back go back in history to. Uh, what many would consider one of our greatest presidents, Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan took the income tax rate down from 70% to 28%. So 28% was the highest tax rate, but he also reduced the threshold upon which the highest tax rate would be assessed down to just under $30,000 a year. Heck, everyone paid the highest tax rate. So when you think about this going into the future, it's not about the rate, it's about the threshold. So if we just pegged the highest tax rate at 35% like it is today, 
Washington can generate as many dollars as they want to by merely bringing the threshold upon which that rate applies all the way down. What if they assess a 35% top rate on any income over $50,000? Taxes went up. Rates might go down, but taxes are going to go up. And it's so deceptive because we're not talking about the threshold. No, no. You know, every political campaign, it's all about raising the rates. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's a shell game. Brian, when I first met you, I I remember this like so clearly you asked me straight up. You're like, do you know what the secret is? Like, do you know what the most magical thing in the world? And I don't know what I said. I got it wrong, (laughs) but it was compound interest. And and then lifetime compound interest. Talk about that. Your face lights up. I love yeah. it. Well, it's again, it, there's a subtlety here because Albert Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world, the miracle of compound interest. But I got to a point in my life, it, hey, Caleb, I'm a CPA. We we know how to follow rules. And it was very frustrating because my wife and I followed all the financial rules I was taught. Yet my compound interest curve wasn't there. And I got to thinking, well, is Einstein an idiot? Well, not, not exactly, but he, see, he missed it by one word. It's the miracle of uninterrupted compound interest. And it's as simple as that. We will all be financially free if we understand how to not interrupt that exponential compound interest curve. And it, it, it is that simple. It's all about com- not interrupting your compound interest. Right. So, so kind of as I'm summarizing kind of the first part of your book, you, you paint a picture of, of a mountain and you ask, okay, what's the goal of climbing a mountain? Most people are like, get to the top, but what's the point of getting to the top if you don't get down safely? And then what you're, what you're saying is, okay, it's not about the rate because you can't spend a rate of return. It's about the, the cash flow. I almost said income again. It's about the cash flow and the things that affect your cash flow could be taxes. So let's get that money off the radar screen in the IRS. And let's, let's not, do you want to unpack losses? Cause you also talk about losses and, and in, I think you touched a little bit on that about average, average rates of return and why they're, they're misleading, but like what kind of distribution rate are you using? Because now the 4% rule is blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so two, two things there, you talked about losses and you know, the sequence of returns from whatever you're invested in is somewhat irrelevant on the way up the mountain. I mean, it's important. I mean, you know, I'd rather have my my 40% return from the market happen on the day before I retire because it's 40% on more money. But but it doesn't really matter if you're doing it over a long haul. But on the way down, what if what if the 40% loss in the market comes the day after you retire? Well, you can't you can't even you well a four percent distribution rate is never going to work, but probably neither will an eight or nine percent distribution rate. If you're going to lose forty percent the first day, that's not good. Now, in regards to what long term distribution rate am I using? Um, I always will test out the four percent, and 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 typically the older you are, the higher your distribution rate can be because you're not going to be taking money out as long as everyone else because you're older. So if you look at the typical retiree at 65 or 67 and you take a look at a a 4% distribution rate and then you jumble up all the bond and the stock market returns and you randomly pick those for the next 30 years, 
and you do that multiple times to kind of blend out the, the, the highs and the lows, you've got about a 93% chance of not running out of money before you run out of life over, over that 30-year period of time. Now, I'll always ask my client, well, what do you think about that? What, what, what do you think about a 93% chance of success? Like, well, that's pretty good. And then I have to frame it for them, you know, and I have to ask them and it works every time. You know, the next time you go on vacation, I want you to stop and ask the pilot what the chance of landing safely at your destination is. And I'm going to ask you, if he says 93%, are you going to get on that plane? But that's what this is all about. I mean, crashing in retirement is just like crashing the plane. So if you, if you just continue to work that formula out, you can get all the way down to 2.8% and you have a 99% chance of not running out of money. So, you know, it's an individual choice. You've got, it's your, your life. You got to decide what it's going to be. So it's somewhere between 2.8 and 4. And so if you had a million dollars at retirement, this American dream, you're able to take out in the typical way, 28,000, maybe 35,000. And there's a pretty good chance that you'll have some kind of money in 30 years. Right. Now, do you want to pay taxes on that 28 or 35,000 or would you like it to be tax exempt? I would love it to be tax exempt. <laughs> because it goes, it's going to go a lot further, isn't it? It's going to go about as far then as maybe 50 or $60,000 taxable. Can you, can you break down the difference between tax exempt, tax free and taxable? Yeah. Tax exempt is not, has no requirement to be put on the income tax return. Um, it doesn't even have a reporting device. All right. So um, instruments such as um, Roth IRAs and municipal bonds, these are tax-free. But a, a 1090, I'm sorry, a municipal bond has to be reported on your income tax return as tax free income, kind of weird. A Roth IRA, you get a 1099 R4, R form from, from your sponsor. And, and I always go, what the heck is that all about? Why would you get a 1099 R form for something that's tax free? I mean, what's so hard about it? And Caleb, I got to tell you, I started having clients that I did their tax returns for, and this is where it really came to light for me. And I go, well, okay, so I got to report it. So I report it. But then I got to looking at the form. And it's interesting, the 1099R form, sorry to go so deep here, and I don't want to lose everybody in the weeds, but if, if, you, if you look at the form, box one is the total distribution. Great, $10,000. We all get that. Box two is the taxable amount. Well, we would assume that's going to be zero, right? It's a Roth IRA. No, it's a tax-free Roth IRA. Taxable amount should be zero. It's not. The box is left blank. And then next to the box is a little box that's checked off and it says taxable amount not determined. Wow. What's that all about? What's so hard about this thing? If tax rates might go up, if tax thresholds might go up, might they change the rules of Roth IRAs? I mean, after all, if you're going to give the American people a tax break, when would you like to give them a tax break on their Roth IRA? In the early years when the account is just starting to grow, would you like to give them the break then on, on not having to pay taxes on the growth? Or would you like to wait until they have half a million dollars in their Roth IRA and then go, you know what, folks, we just couldn't afford this. Yeah, we'll grandfather all that growth to 
get to the point. But from here on out, we're going to tax the growth of your Roth IRA. Maybe that's why we're getting the 1099R. And, and, and got it in place already. Right. And, and someone's got to pay for, you know, government spending. Yeah. And that's the difference between tax-free and tax-exempt. See, now let me dive into the municipal bond because many retirees I find today, they're just loaded with municipal bonds because they're tax-free. Well, they're tax-free except for the fact that it's coded as, as a certain type of income that is used to test whether you should have to pay taxes on your Social Security. If a, if a tax-free amount is going to cause a tax on some other distribution, how tax-free was it? It's not so tax-free. It's not. Not so tax-free. Interesting. So you could, I mean, you could have a ton of money in municipal bonds, but still get tax on your Social Security. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can see the passion that, that Brian has, um, and that's why you wrote the book. Okay, so so now let's get into kind of the the punchline here. And this was very interesting for me. This I learned so much reading your book because I always a lot of people look at life insurance as just something as an expense, like to protect you while you're making income and then you don't need it. And then I the, I wrote my book on the and asset this idea of helping people save their money in a place, get uninterrupted compound growth, but be able to use it for starting their business, buying, you know, investing and buying cars, paying off debt. And then I, I never really, I didn't really elaborate on how this could be used for income. And all you focused on was income. Like you're you and, cash flow, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Cash flow. <laughs> and, uh, and you're right. It's re it's retraining how we think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so, so now, but you're, you're, wrote this book for the distribution you're, and you're, what you're saying is how life insurance when set up and used properly is the greatest place to get cash flow from in retirement because of the tax exemptions, because you're never going to lose money, because you get your asset continues to grow. Can you unpack all that? It's, it's, it's a, there's a lot there, but yeah. so it, it's re again, it's really simple. This whole idea is so simple. It's about compound interest. No, it's about uninterrupted compound interest. And it's about using the 105-year-old tax code to spend the uninterrupted compound interest. Now, that sounds oxymoronic. How can you spend something that's uninterrupted? Well, here's how you do it. And you do it with the Internal Revenue Code. You borrow against it. See, because the 105-year-old tax code says that borrowed proceeds never hit the income tax return. I mean, think about it. Last time, you know, one of, one of the listeners here today either borrowed money to buy a car or, borrow, or borrowed money to buy their home. Did you have to show the proceeds of that loan on your income tax return as income? The answer is no. So now it, it, it's a, it can happen with any asset, Caleb, except at retirement. The, the, you know, the financial institution is a little funny about this. If you borrow money from them, they, they want it back with interest. Well, if you're in retirement, how can you borrow money that you can't repay? I mean, because after all, any bar, any money you're going to borrow to live on in retirement you're, is going gonna, is gonna to be spent and therefore you can't pay it back. So you have to find an asset where the company does not care whether you pay back the loan or not during your lifetime. Well, enter life insurance. Because in essence, you're, you are borrowing money from the life insurance company. It's collateralized by your cash value or what would be known as the equity of your contract. But in all, in all honesty, the life insurance company is merely sending you premature distributions of your death benefit. 
Now, you're not dead, so it has to be a loan. And because it's a loan, it doesn't show up in the income tax return, and the, the life insurance company is merely reducing your death benefit every year by the amount of loans you have outstanding. They're happy. They've got a perfect loan situation, and you're off the radar screen of the IRS. Literally, you're retired based based off the proceeds to your dead self. So what you're saying is if, if someone at retirement, and I don't love using that word retirement, but someone um, is getting ready to take cash flow and all their assets are, are in these special types of life insurance contracts, and they, instead of taking that money out, they're borrowing against it, and their money's continuing to get that beautiful word, uninterrupted compound growth, while their death benefit is continuing to grow, they're able to take out income, cash flow, <laughs> cash flow today, and then eventually they're going to die, and their death benefit is just going to be reduced by the, in, the cash flow that they took uh, in retirement. Let me give you a quick story. It happened this week. It was another financial advisor who called me and he said, Brian, I'm down here at Disney World with my family. And I'm agonizing over all the calculations I'm going through, whether I should buy into the Disney Vacation Club or not for my family. And I said, John, stop. Stop all the calculations. Listen, I know you and your wife both have plenty of life insurance because you're utilizing the concepts that, that we all talk about. And someday you're going to retire against the death benefits of these life insurance policies. I said, listen, take, take this Disney Vacation Club and borrow money from your wife's death benefit. I said, John, who's going to die first, you or your wife? She, he goes, well, I am. And I said, so who's going to get your wife's death benefit? Certainly you're not. He says, well, the kids. I said, right. So would you rather enjoy... Would you rather see them enjoy her death benefits now while you guys can go to Disney whenever you want? Or would you rather have your kids enjoy those death benefits sometime in the future when both of you are gone? I said, you can buy into Disney Vacation Club for free. Yeah, It's just being paid for with your wife's death benefits. It's your kid's money. You're doing this for your kids. You're doing this for the enjoyment of your family. You're doing this for memories. Why are you agonizing whether this is a, a good return on your money or not. Stop. Just buy it. What's your response when people say, Brian, this sounds too good to be true? Too good to be true. Well, you know, that comes from all the traditional thinking, you know, because you don't hear about this. And so a lot of times when things are, quote unquote, too, too good to be true, it's because it hasn't been, it, it's out of the box thinking. Okay, and, and it's 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 extraordinary. It's not in the mainstream. And so if you think it's too good to be true, you owe it to yourself to check it out. Now the other thing I hear is is Caleb, people say to me, yeah. Well, why isn't everyone doing this? Well, the answer to that is everyone who understands does. And so the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, if you think it's too good to be true, you better educate yourself because it's not. It works. And, and it literally could be a difference of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, oh. later in your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let, now, let's talk about, let's talk about um, 
what are common, like what, what will people say? Like, I, I let, here's a better question. Distribution rate. So we talked about typical financial plan being that three to four or 2.8 to 4%, meaning if you have a million dollars, you can take out about 30 grand and it's taxable. Uh, what, and if you had a million dollars in this life insurance, what are you, what's a, a number that you're using or do you not go into that? Right now I'm using about six to six and a half percent of the cash value. Remember the cash values of the collateral and generally you can borrow six to six and a half percent of your cash value from your death benefit. Okay. Uh, in order to retire and it's going to last you to age 90. That's the thing that I, the, what I try to plan to is age 90. For most people, that's five years past their life expectancy. Um, now, dividends, uh, future dividends, all that hmm. will change that number. But I feel good about this type of a 6% distribution rate because, heck, life insurance companies are, are all at the low point of their dividends. They're interest sensitive. And so if interest rates are going to go up in the future, then dividends are going to go up in the future and your distribution rate's probably going to be more like six and a half, seven percent. Right. Because I'm not accounting for increases right. in dividends. And you're hedging, you're really hedging both sides when you work with a mutual company is if interest rates go up, dividends will follow. <laughs> and, you know, so, okay. Well, Ryan, one of the questions that I love to end um, my interviews, and it's not money related, but it could be, is you're you're in a room with mm -hmm. the people that you love the most and you know that you have one hour left on earth. What are the things that you're passing down to those people? Like what kind of things do you want to make sure that you get across? Well, that's, you got to give me more than an hour because if it, I got an hour, it's all about me, myself and my family. It's not about anybody else. But, you know, as, as I move closer and closer myself to retirement, you know, um, there, a great playwright, Victor Hugo, he once said, there's nothing more powerful in all the world than an idea whose time has come. And, and uh, I hope I can get this right. Albert Zangori, he is a uh, Nobel Prize winner in, in physics, I believe. And, and he said that discovery consists of seeing what everyone else has seen but thinking what no one else has thought. Now you put those two quotes together and you realize that you're dealing with a, a product that's over a hundred years old, who with these concepts, it's time has come. And that's what I want to get out in the time that I have left in my career before I turn to retirement and the beach and the sand. And I want to empower as many financial advisors and people in general today who could be the next messenger of this whole thought that, you know, here's something that's been around for a hundred years. Finally, it's time has come. And, and, and thinking things that no one has thought about something that they have seen for hundreds of years. So, that's what, that's kind of the stage of my career that I'm in right now. I want to empower as many people to carry this message on because at some point I won't be able to. Brian, I'm a better advisor because of you. So thank you for what you're doing and for publishing books like, like this, sharing the secret. Um, I want people to go to Amazon 
to get your book or what's the best way to get to the book? Um, that's the best way to, to, to grab it. Yeah. Is just out to Amazon. They pretty much carry it on a day-to-day basis. You're so. going to see the price and a part of you is going to think, oh, I don't know if it's worth it. It's a hundred percent worth it. It's worth twice as much as what you're, you're, you're listing it for. Go buy the book and um, it will change your life. Brian, thank you so much for being on here and thank you for what you're doing to this industry. Well, Caleb, Caleb, thanks for giving me the opportunity and it's been a lot of fun this morning. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian. It was uh, packed, filled with great information. And I know um, for, for some of you guys, you're listening to this and you're saying, wow, how can I learn more? How can I actually apply what they talked about uh, to my own life? And there's three three ways as, I, as I'm thinking through how I can add the most value to you. The first way is go get his book. It's, it's written in such a way that you can take those gold nuggets and understand more of the concepts. Number two is I made a YouTube video that's, this, that's summarizing his book and I will include it in the show notes. It's something that I, I want to do more and more as I read books and I just kind of walk through you know his key concepts in a couple minutes you'll be able to kind of get the big picture uh what he writes about and the third area is if this is something that you're interested find a professional that can help you whether it's someone like me whether it's brian whether it's someone who gave you this podcast make sure they know what they're doing and that they can set up and and really help you on the back end Um, but really work with someone that understands this and if as you can see and as this is kind of what i saw when i got into this business and started hearing from professionals is if you're working with the right person and you know some of this stuff about taxes, about using assets that ever increase, about cash flow versus income, that can really, really separate you from most people. Super exciting. Uh, Make sure you're continuing to pour into yourself. Have an incredible week and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.